0: What a great song, what a good old song. Have your Bible tonight. I want you to be opening with me, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10. While you're turning there, when you find verse 25, if you're physically able to do so, I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's Word. I want to say one thing tonight as you're standing. Uh, In the little rack as you go out the door on the left out there, there's a new addition of the Sword of the Lord. Now that little Sword of the Lord newspaper has been a huge, huge help in my life over these years. Uh, Really, whether you realize it or not, it's had a huge impact in our church, a huge impact. And uh, Dr. Uh, Smith had done a little article in this one here called The New Wokeism. Actually, The Religion of the New Wokeism. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, it'd be worth your time especially for you parents to pick this up and read this, and you grandparents, you'd understand some things that's going on and what that term woke means and wokeism. And by the way, they do worship it as a religion, and it's a very interesting thing. And so um, I brought a copy up here just to remind me to say that. And uh, so you ought to pick one of those up as you go out the door, and and there's a lot of other things in there that will help you as well. But it's a great little thing, you ought to pick one of those up. Watch, have your Bibles tonight, Luke chapter 10, and begin reading in verse 25 and read through verse number 37, and then I'm going to have you read one of those verses with me as we continue the parables of Christ. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law, how readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which uh, stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, Had passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. I want us to go back to verse number 33, and it is the text verse tonight, we'll uh, pick this out of there. So let's read that together. You ready? But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Tonight, we're going to try to preach to you with the help of the Lord on the parable of the good Samaritan. Let us pray. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come to thy house here tonight and be in thy service. We, uh, Lord, are grateful for the moving of the Spirit already in our midst with our children, and the quoting and of the Word of God, and singing, and Lord, then the, the choir, and the fellowship we've had one with another, and Lord, it's just been good to be in thy house tonight. And now, Father, we've come to this portion of the service, and I have a message I believe that you have given me from on high, and the bread of life has already been broken, and I stand before thy people in thy house again, and Lord, what a privilege it is, and uh, Lord, what a great responsibility it is, and I recognize that, and I also recognize my inability and my unworthiness to be here, and so I would ask you once again that you would forgive me of my sin, please cleanse me of the blood of Calvary, uh, that I can be a vessel fit for thy service, and Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would fill me with that great power, that I can preach in a manner that every person that the sound of my voice would feel like this message is for them and them alone. If there's a lost soul here tonight, may they be saved, and Someone that's discouraged not may they be encouraged. Someone tonight that just needs to draw closer to Christ, may they do that. And Father, above all things, and most importantly, may Jesus Christ be uplifted and glorified, for it is in His precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we look at this passage of Scripture, this parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, as I begin to give you the context and the uh, principle of, uh, characters of this parable. Let's remember now what a parable is. A parable is, a, uh, is an illustration set alongside a truth to make the truth, the doctrine that has been given, uh, more understandable. And so uh, there's a parable here, and this parable has been set alongside this truth. And, and, and so uh, we're, we're going to find out what this parable is, and we're going to see the truth of it here in just a moment. Now, Jesus is uh, in the early part of the early ministry here. Uh, in the fourth part of this chapter, He has ordained 70 others besides the 12. He has sent them forth, and they have went preaching the Word of God. They've had power to heal people and, and, and see great and mighty things come. They come rejoicing over that. And so as they come rejoicing over that, Christ has dealt with them and they've rejoiced together. And then we come to our text. There is now one of these lawyers that stands up. Now, by the way, just to get a little bit of understanding, this lawyer uh, is um, a a little different than what you and I would think is a lawyer. Uh, He is a member of the Sanhedrin. He is either a Pharisee or a Sadducee. And, And he is very well versed. Uh, In the Old Testament, he is very well versed uh, in the law, uh, the Old Testament law. And so he stands up and he's tempting Christ. Now, he doesn't have a pure heart. He's not asking a question because he literally thinks he's going to hell. Actually, just the opposite is true. He thinks he's going to heaven and uh, probably very few others are. And he does not like the teaching of Christ. So he stands up and he tempts Christ in the very first of this, and he says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we find that in verse 25. Now, it's not a legitimate question. It's not of a pure heart. It is a question that is motivated by trying to trick Christ, trying to get him into some sort of uh, situation where he can say, Aha, you really are an imposter. It's what he's after. And so Jesus then asked him a question. By the way, let me help you with something here. It has nothing to do with the message, but it will help you. Oftentimes when you're trying to encourage people and you're trying to help people, people ask you question, just ask them to ask you a question. You ask them a question, they have to give a Bible answer, and a lot of times it just solves your problem right then. And that's what Jesus did with this fellow. He asked him a question, and you find that Jesus said in verse 26, What is written in the law? How readest thou? I mean, he asked Jesus, to have, what, what, what can I do to eat? How can I have eternal life? How can I know that I'm going to heaven? And, and Jesus immediately rec- recognizes. He knows what the guy's doing. And he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? What do you think the Word of God says? By the way, the guy gives a very accurate answer. He gives an answer. coming down to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he gives an answer. It's a great truth. And he uh, gives everything about the law and really what everything is encompassed in the law. And Jesus said that in his earthly ministry. And, and, he, and he simply says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, all of your mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, by the way, Jesus said that all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, that's a true statement. Everything that I've commanded you to do and not do in the law can be bundled up in those two things. If you love God with everything you are, then you're going to serve Him. And if you love your neighbors yourself, then you're you're going to treat Him the way you ought to be treated. And so he rolls all of that into one thing. And this guy gives that answer. By the way, it's a good answer. And so then Jesus now... Uh, he knew he was going to give that answer, and um, uh, he, uh, he, he simply says uh, in verse 28, and thou hast answered right, this do and live. He says, by the way, if you could do that, you'll, have, you know, you'll be perfect if you could do that, and you just do that and you can live. Now, the guy recognizes he can't do that, and what I mean by that is none of us can live perfect. This guy recognizes he can't live perfect. He knows that. But he's willing to justify himself, and oftentimes that's what we do. We, we justify ourselves. Well, we know that we're not perfect, and we'll know that there's some things in our lives that we ought not to be doing, and we have a bad habit of saying, well, you know, uh, nobody's perfect. What, what are you trying to do? Justify yourself. Uh, you, you know, what we ought to be doing is getting on the altar and repenting of whatever it is that causes us to make that statement. And, and, and so this guy is willing to justify himself. And so Jesus knew this would happen. He knew this what would happen to this individual. He knew he would justify himself. And by the way, he knew where he'd go. And, and, and so the man's trying to justify himself in verse 29, but he willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, now uh, he, he doesn't have, uh, thinks, he doesn't have much problem with the first part of it, to love God with all of his heart, soul, um, strength, and mind. Uh, But he knows he has a problem with the second part of it. Who is my neighbor? Uh, He likes to pick and choose who he's going to love as himself. He likes to pick and choose who he's going to try to encourage and who he's going to just say those people are not worth uh, living for. And, And so he knows all that. And so he's trying to justify himself and he says, Who is my neighbor? Now then. So when he says that, Jesus then gives this parable. So now there's, a, there's a, a truth, a doctrinal truth that Jesus has, uh, has given here that's set alongside that the greatest commandment that you and I can have is the thing that we can do in our life is to love God with everything we are. And we ought to do that every day. We, we ought to try to live so that we, we love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, everything we have 24 hours a day ought to be something we're doing to love God and serve God. But the second part of that is we ought to love our neighbors ourselves. Now, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? And what is it that God requires out of me and God requires out of you? As Christians, as believers, what does He require out of us? And what does He want us to do? How does He want us to live and treat one another? Who is our neighbor? And so now this parable is given. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. You're going to find the principal characters in this is, first of all, the traveling man. This traveling man is just going to represent someone that uh, is in need of help, and then you'll find the thieves, and the thieves are really going to represent some uh, things that happens to us in life, and where Satan uh, causes things to happen, and we find ourselves in trouble, and other folks do, and then you're going to find a priest, and and the, the, the priest is really, uh, he is to to be in uh, the city the of God, so to speak, uh, he's to be the closest there is to the Lord and to guide people in the way of God. Then you find a Levite. A Levite was that group of people that God had given them that great privilege to take care of the things of God in the house of God. And then you find a Samaritan. Now, to understand this better, this lawyer is a Jew, and it, it, there's a group of people that they don't like at all. It's the Samaritans. And these Samaritans, in their mind, are worthless and in their mind, these Samaritans, you talk about some, some bigotry, and you talk about some people being against someone, uh, the Jews did not like the Samaritans at all. As a matter of fact, the Samaritans knew that, and that's why in John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, who is a Samaritan, and he asks her for a drink, she says, How is it you being a Jew asking a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? She says, There's something wrong with this picture. You people are not good to us, you're not courteous to us, you hate us, you don't like us, you think that we're the bottom rung of society. So when Jesus uses Samaritan, it's not just something he pulls out of thin air. It is uh, something that this man doesn't really like at all. This lawyer would be against these Samaritans. He, he would think that they are no chance of them ever getting into heaven, that they are away from the things of God. He, he doesn't like them at all. And, and, and so you see the principal characters here, and that's important. It's important because we're going to find ourselves here tonight, and we're going to find some things that teaches you and I a principle and teaches us some truths from the Word of God. And, and so you find these principal characters. Now then, so let's begin to look at it. Let's begin to look and and see what happens in this parable. And at the very end of it, we'll pull some truths into it that will help us. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, you find that this this certain man is on his journey. He's traveling from point A to point B, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, He's really in his business, minding his business, and he's going from one location to another location, and on his journey he falls among thieves, and they strip him of his raiment, and they wound him, leaving him half dead. Now let's put a spiritual application to that just a minute. Here we are, and we're on a spiritual journey. Do you realize that? Uh, and, and the reason I said point A and point B, I can give you the two points in your life. Uh, if I asked you tonight, there would have been a time in your life when you were born physically. That would be point A. I don't know what time. I don't know where I was born. Let me rephrase that. I know when they tell me I was born and where they tell me I was born. I don't really remember it. I was born here in Crossville, April the 1st, 1964. That will explain some things. Some of you will pick that up later, but anyhow. And so, uh, that's point A. Now, I'm headed to point B. I don't know when that'll be and where that'll be. I would really prefer the rapture, but at some point in time, I'm going to die. And I'm going to end my journey. And so tonight, with this man is, from a spiritual standpoint, we find every one of us are in this journey. We are going from point A to point B, Jerusalem to Jericho, and we're in this journey of life. And by the way, we find others are in this journey also. All of us are in it together. As we journey, you are going to fall among thieves. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking who may devour. And so Satan is after you. He's after everyone. And he's doing all he can to devour them, to destroy them, to strip them of whatever spiritual raiment they have, wound them, and leave them half dead. And that's what Satan's after. He's after that with every one of us. And he's after that with everyone. He wants to uh, cause them to uh, to die and go to hell. That's what he's after. And so, now tonight, here's a, a spiritual application. You and I are living in this life, and if you're here tonight and have been saved, you're a child of God, and this journey, whenever it ends for you, you're going to find yourself immediately in heaven, in, a, in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will have had a successful journey. But every day, you and I pass people by, come in contact with people who have been absolutely fallen among thieves, and they have been wounded and stripped and left half dead. They have no peace. They have no joy. They have not anything in life to live for. And we pass them by every day. And every day they pass us by. And oftentimes we we view them, by the way, in one of three ways. All of us do. So you find, number one, you find this traveling man that is going from point A to point B, and he falls among thieves. They strip him and wound him and leave him half dead. Now we're we're traveling, and you and I are going to come to people every day. We're going to come by them that from point A to point B, they have fallen among thieves. They've been stripped of any hope. They've been beaten. And you find them down and unable to help themselves. Now, whenever we come to those people, how are we going to react to them? Well, the first person in the parable that comes across this man is a priest. Let's go back to the text, if you will, and uh, look in verse 31. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, the priest represents, especially to this lawyer, the priest represents the man that is supposed to be closest to God, a man that is studying the Word of God, a man that is given by God to help people get closer to God, to help those that are downcast and downtrodden, to help them up and to lift them up and help them get their feet on the solid rock of of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this guy is very indifferent. One of the worst things that you and I can get is get indifferent to where that we pass by people that are in trouble, that we we come by people that have been uh, they've fallen among thieves and uh, they are stripped and wounded, and we are busy in our lives, and we walk past them and we see them. And we see that they're hurting, and by the way, as a child of God, you and I have the Holy Ghost living inside of us, and I guarantee you, the Holy Ghost will deal with your heart and my heart about what we need to be doing, speaking to them, trying to help them. But you know what? We're very busy. We're busy people. We're important people. This priest was an important man. This priest had things to do, and he had people to see and places to go, and he had a schedule to keep, and he had things to do. Y'all grasp that? And so he was very indifferent. He comes by and he's going down uh, the the way and he sees the fellow here and the fellow's in bad shape. Uh, He can't help himself. He's been uh, stripped and he's been wounded and he's half dead. And the priest looks at him and you know what he does? He just sort of walks by on the other side. Just looks at him and says, just walks by. Just keeps on going. I don't have time to fool with that. I've got more important things to do in life and it's not my... It's not my place anyhow. Maybe I can contact a doctor to come and see him. I'm a priest. After all, it's not my position. Y'all grasp the principle. I am afraid that oftentimes we get very indifferent to the people around about us that need help. There are people every day that you and I come in contact with that have been hurt and wounded. Inside, they, they have been attacked by the devil. Sometimes you may not see it outwardly. But they need somebody to help them. And we are like this priest and we have an indifference that we walk by them. And sometimes we even know that we ought to do something. But we excuse it away. I don't know what kind of excuses this man used because we're not told. I just know he did. He didn't really stop at all. He glanced at him, looked at him, and went, circled him, and kept going. You know, as people of God and as children of God, we ought to be looking for people that are hurting. We ought to be looking for people that are down. And it's going to interrupt your day. It's going to take some of your time. It may take some of your resources. But God will want you to do something to help them. And I guarantee you, your schedule's messed up whenever you stop. I guarantee that whatever else you had in mind is now probably out the door. But somebody needs to help them. There are people on their way to hell that nobody's ever gave a gospel tract to. Nobody's ever put their arm around them and said, I love you and I don't want you to go to hell. Can I show you how to go to heaven? There are people that have been hurt by life itself and by people. Unfortunately, there are people that have been hurt by other Christians in my churches and they just need somebody to love them. And we get very indifferent and we pass them by. He that's what this priest did. Here's a traveling man that is on his way from point A to point B. He fell among thieves. He's been stripped and wounded, half dead. Here comes a man that ought to have the answers, that that has what he needs. And he's very indifferent to it because he's only thinking of himself And he walks by and goes on. Let's look at the next fellow. The next fellow in the parable is the Levite. You notice the Levite there in verse 32. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by the other side. Now, I want you to notice the Levite. The Levite comes, and, and by the way, he is also a man that's in been chosen by God to have great position as far as the service of God is concerned. And, and so here is a Levite, and he, he comes down after the priest is gone, and uh, he, he comes by and he sees the guy. And, and, and he stops and looks at the guy. He looks at him. Probably makes some, some calculations and some judgments in his mind. And he looks at him a little while and then he passes on. Now what did the Levite do? The Levite has become very hard-hearted. You see, one of the things that's easy for you and I to do is get hard-hearted toward other people that have fallen among thieves. When I'm talking about fallen among thieves, I'm talking about Satan and, 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 and the, his army of fallen angels and what they do to people and sin and destruction. You see, I have an idea of this Levite. He comes by and he's got a hard heart. He stops and looks at the guy. And he sees he's half dead. And he begins to think, well, I wonder what he did to cause this. You understand see, oftentimes that's the way we view people. We view people that are in trouble, that sin has destroyed their life. Maybe they are a drug addict. Maybe they are a drunkard. Maybe they have committed some sin that, thank God, you've never committed. Maybe they have done something that was their own free will choice and they made some very bad decisions and it put them in a place that they should not be in. Truth of the matter is, by the time Satan's done with them, they can't do anything about it. And they need somebody to love them. It is very easy, if we're not careful, to look at some sinner that we find in a position that we don't don't like the lifestyle, we don't like where they're at. And it's easy for us to be like this Levite and to look at it and make a judgment and say, well, they're reaping what they sowed. They should have known that was going to happen to him. Why, if this guy had been... At this this levi has got all kinds of things in his mind. He becomes very hard-hearted about why this guy caused this to happen to him. And he looks at him and finally decides he's a hopeless case, and he walks on. It is easy for you and I to get in that condition. It's easy for us to do that in people in any number of situations. That we look at somebody, and they're in trouble. They have fallen among the thieves of Satan and sin, and they've been destroyed, and they're half dead. And absolutely, they've made those choices. They've made them. Somebody needs to love them. I'm not talking enabling them. There's a difference. But somebody does need to love them. Somebody does need to go to him and try to encourage him and try to help him and try to lift him up, try to get them back where they need to be. But this Levite doesn't do it because he has a hard heart. And oftentimes that's where we find ourselves. We know somebody that's down and we know somebody that's finds himself in the hog pen and is trying to get out and we know somebody that matter of fact if you have any age on you at all you probably know several somebodies you know some people that have made some poor choices in life and you know some people have done some things and they are reaping what they have sowed you know that but you look at them you think well they probably wouldn't listen anyhow yeah, I've got you know I've talked to them before it didn't do any good I'm trying to really warn him not to do this, and he did. Look what happened to him. Y'all get the picture. And he gets hard-hearted, and he walks away. Now the last individual in this parable is a Samaritan. And so you find in verse number 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, now he's going from point A to point B like everybody else, he's in his journey. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now, by the way, the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan is compassion. The priest is indifferent. The the Levite is hard-hearted, but the Samaritan has compassion. He's... He's not going to say, yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, I think it's okay if you drink a little, or I think it's okay if you do a little drugs. He ain't going to do that, but he has compassion on you. You see, part of the problem is sometimes, sometimes God's delivered you and I from some things. Sometimes we've never been in it to start with. The older I get and the more I deal with people and I see the destruction of sin, the more grateful I am that as a teenager I made some vows to God. I am grateful that a 14-year-old teenager I walked to an old-fashioned altar and made a vow to God, I'd never drink liquor. And I've never drunk a drop of liquor and never will. The older I get, I see the destruction in lives of people of alcohol and what it does to their lives. Social drinking is a wicked thing. It it, it lulls you into a, a, a thing of peace and joy and pleasure and then it bites like an adder, according to Proverbs 23, and it kills you and it does. But at the same time, those I know some folks that were in that same service I was as a teenager that are drunkards. Well I have compassion on them. You so they had the same choice you did. And I know they did. I know they did. And I thank God that I never, listen, I never got on drugs of any kind. And it wasn't because I was better than anybody else. I make dumb, enough stupid decisions every day that hurts me that it just made sense to me that I don't need to do anything else to make it worse. Y'all looking at me like you have no idea what you're talking about. Man, I, my thumb don't work well because I stuck it in a table saw one day. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happens on a normal basis. and It's just something I never got into. But the older I get, I'm grateful I never got into it. But if you're not careful, you see somebody that's in that, then you get real hard-hearted toward them. No compassion. Look, I'm thankful that Elizabeth and I did things right. She's the only girl I ever dated, and we appeared we got married. It's, uh, the older I get, and the more problems I see out of that, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm trying to help you with something. But God's really burdened my heart to try to have compassion with people, no matter what they've done. One of the things that God used to help me with that was uh, Brother Hutch Hudgens. Now, Brother Hutch has been in heaven for quite a few years. Brother Hutch used to sit over here about where Steve's at. And he sat there all the time. Him and Brother Lou sat together. and I overheard something before service one night. Service getting ready and there's four or five of these fellows there and somebody had, was hard-hearted. You, you, it wasn't none of y'all because y'all are too spiritual to be that way, but somebody was hard-hearted against somebody that had done something. Y'all get the picture. And I'm listening as I'm getting ready for everything to this conversation, and boy, they're really hard-hearted about this individual. This individual has done this, and they've done that, and they're reaping what they've sowed, and they brought it on themselves. And, 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 and when they got done saying what all this corrupt individual had done, Brother Hutch sitting there, very godly man, and he said, Except for the grace of God, there go I. he really ended the conversation. There's great truth in that. And then he began to say, you know what you need is compassion. You need to pray for that man. You You need to be able to help them. And the only way to do that is you've got to go where they're at. You're going to have to get down where they are. And what you and I lack sometimes is compassion. You say, I just don't know what to do. You know, these people really don't care about your knowledge. They just need somebody to care. I heard a man make a statement one time about compassion. It's a great truth. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's a great truth in that. And and what is lacking most of the time is not that I don't have the knowledge, not that I don't have the ability, it's compassion. I don't have to have any great wisdom to have compassion. I don't have to have any great ability to have compassion. I don't have to be anything special to see somebody that's wounded and hurt to go to them. It's called compassion. You see, there's a great truth in that. I am convinced that oftentimes the reason that we're not reaching people by the multitudes is because we lack compassion. And we excuse it away like the Levite or the priest. We're indifferent and we're hard-hearted. But this man had compassion. Go back to the text. That's not all he had. Look at it and you'll see in verse 33. We'll start back there. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, listen It is one thing to have compassion. It is another thing to go to them. It is one thing to see someone that is down and hurting and fallen among thieves and has been stripped and wounded and half dead. It's one thing to see it and it break your heart and you have empathy and you you have compassion. But if that doesn't motivate you to do anything about it, you're no better than a priest or a Levite. I can have compassion on people and I can look at them and feel sorry for it and say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll add that to my prayer list. But it probably doesn't help them unless I go to them. This, this Samaritan could have come here and seen this fellow. And he had compassion on him and, and he could have said, well, you know what, i, I tell you what, I'm a busy fellow. I'm on my journey. I've got a lot of things to do in life. And i, I, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Well, good, you need to pray for him. But it wouldn't have helped him. He went to him. He got down where he was at. He bound him up, cleaned him up, took him somewhere and took care of him. You know, sometimes it's important that you and I have enough compassion to go to people. Put your arm around them, love them. Bring them to church with you pray with them, try to get them in a place where they can get encouraged and lifted up. Just just love them. And that's what this man did. You find that he ended it in the great truth. You find Jesus ends this Samaritan, verse 35, And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I... Come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor to him, fell among the thieves. And so he asked the guy, I said, Which one do you think is his neighbor? Priest? Ah, he's a very indifferent guy, probably not. Levite? He's hard hearted, probably not. The Samaritan, this guy that you think nothing of, that you think is the least of society. And finally the guy has to answer. He hates the answer because now he doesn't like the answer. But I want you to notice, he answers, verse 37, he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, to Go and do that likewise. He's got the guy where well, the guy's in trouble, spiritually speaking. The truth of the matter is, not every day you and I see people. We're on our journey, just like that Samaritan was, and they're on their journey. They have fallen among thieves, Satan, sin, selfishness, self-inflicted things, happens to all of us. Thank God some things are worse than others. And, uh, but you and I need to have compassion on our journey and mercy on our journey to help folk. Now, I'll jot some things down right quick like and I'll be down. Number one, every day you and I see lost men and women that have fallen among thieves and are going to hell. Every day. Every day you and I come in contact with people that are lost. You may work with them. They may be part of your family, part of your friends. Some of them are very difficult to speak to and talk to. Some of them are, are, they're just lost. They don't care anything about God. They don't care anything about the things of God. They use foul language and they're filthy, and they, they just they're lost, but they're wounded, and they're half dead. And when they die physically, they'll go to hell who's going to have compassion on them who's going to have compassion on them Who, who's going to look at them and say there's there's a man there's a woman that's in trouble he said preacher I don't know if I, I don't like to deal with people like that neither did the priest and neither did the Levite well, they've made some pretty tough choices hey look where they're at I understand that I'm telling you tonight making having the compassion to go to them. You say, preacher, they might reject it. They may. But I have an idea that once they're down and they're half dead, they're going to accept it. They're going to. I'll give you a little example without giving too much information. Last night at the prayer meeting, one of our, one of our members said, I want you to pray for it, and I'm going to stop right there. And so after the thing, I went up to him and I said, hey, listen, anybody ever visited? And he said, oh, no, preacher. Won't let anybody talk to him. Doesn't want to hear this thing about the Lord. and They're in bad shape. And I said, listen, ask him if I can come and talk to him. And shook their head and said, this probably won't work. I said, it may not. But ask. Ask if you can go with me. This morning they met me right over behind that post and immediately started smiling and said, you know what, they said you could come. <laughs> They're in trouble. I mean, they've got a bad physical problem and, and they, said they said they might even come to church because I asked them. I said, ah, there it is. You see, most of these people have never been talked to. They've never had anybody have compassion and mercy on them. I can't tell you how many times I've went to the hospital to visit somebody that's, you know, dying had a bad accident, and people say, Preacher, they're an atheist, they ain't going to listen to you. I get up there, and it's amazing how many atheists say, Yeah, pray for me. <laughs> Not much of an atheist. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You say, well, What, have you ever been run off? Yeah. Yeah, I've had people say, I don't want to talk about it, and leave, don't ever mention that to me again. But that has been so few, and the great vast majority... When the Samaritan kneels down beside him and starts trying to help him, he says, "Thank you." There's a lot of lost people on their way to hell. If you and I just took time out of our journey to go help them, you'd see them get saved. I guarantee it. Not only there's the lost. Jesus and Luke 19:10 says, "He's come to to seek and to save that which was lost." That's what we ought to do. Not only the lost, I look at something else, the backslidden. Well, the backslidden ones that sort of gets under your skin, don't they? They're the ones that know better. And they're the ones that at one point were preachers. I've been in this long enough now that I know men of God that one, one time mounted pulpits like I am tonight that's not been in church in years. I know people that used to teach Sunday schools, no longer in church. People that used to run van routes and sing in the choir and do other things and they're no longer in church and it's easy for you and I to walk past them like the priest and the Levite and say, you know, they know, they know what they ought to be doing. And by the way, they do know what they ought to be doing. But I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 with me in just a moment. In Galatians chapter 6, I find a passage of scripture that God wants me to have compassion on these people. And he wants you to have compassion and mercy on him and to be the right kind of Samaritan witness to him that we ought to be. You find Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1, it says, Brethren, by the way, it's talking to us. If a man be overtaken in a fault, now by the way, he's, this is something he shouldn't be doing, he's done. Ye he which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, consider ourselves less also be tempted... Bear you one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. You know, oftentimes we we we, we have a little bit of easier time having compassion on a lost man than we do a backslidden person. The truth of the matter is, I, God dealt my heart about this message. I thought, Lord, there's a list, and God began to deal with my heart about people that are backslidden. That I just need to stop in and see if I can dress some wounds, pour in some oil and wine, and get them back on their feet. I guarantee you, you know some folks that way. It's real easy to get indifferent and hard-hearted toward these backslidden people, but it's sure not what God wants us to do. The last one, and I'm done for tonight, is the helpless. I want you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 2 with me, and I'm done. We've got communion in just a moment, but I want you to look at Mark chapter 2. This is not a parable, it's something that literally happened. And I want you to see somebody that's helpless. I want you to see something here. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that it was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this account, and what happened there, but I want you to notice, here's a helpless individual. He has palsy so bad he can't walk, can't get up, he's... Laying on a bed, a cot. And four people decide they're going to take this man to Jesus. By the way, when they get there, it's hard. There's a crowd of people there, and they can't get in. Nobody will let them in. So they take him up on a roof, and they break up the roof. That costs something. And then they let him down in front of Jesus. And By the way, he walks out of there carrying the cot. You see, there's some helpless people around here, all over the world really, that somebody needs to bear them to Jesus. And if I can get him to Jesus, he'll do the rest. If you can get him to Jesus, he'll do the rest. There's no doubt about it. And tonight, I find this parable of the Good Samaritan speaks to my heart. Boy, I sure, surely, surely, surely don't want to get indifferent. I surely don't want to get hard-hearted. I surely want to try to keep the compassion for the lost, the backslidden, and the helpless. If we would do that, it'd be amazing how people get saved, how many people get right with God, and what great work we'd have. If we just saw that everybody we come in contact with is our neighbor, and we are to love them as ourselves. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here tonight.